Welcome to Talking Kotlin. In this episode, we're speaking with Edwin Sisa from Norway, who is the author of Tornado FX. Welcome, Edwin. Thank you. Good to be here, Hadi. Oh, thanks for coming on. And I really do hope that I said that surname properly this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> it sounds really strange saying it when I'm when yeah. I'm saying it. It feels like I'm, as I said, like I'm imitating uh, a Norwegian person, which yeah, technically yeah. I am, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a developer at a Norwegian hosting company called CISA, in fact. And uh, I'm also the project lead for Tornado FX and FX Launcher. So in my day job, I work uh, with uh, both uh, systems integration and, uh, and uh, back-end and front-end development. And uh, lately, it's been uh, more front-end development, actually. Um, we, we create a lot of tools in my company and uh, most of them need some kind of uh, UI. So, uh, so uh, uh, I'm, I'm doing more and more desktop front-end development, actually. Now that's interesting. In a world where everyone and their mother have moved to the web, oh, yeah. you are doing desktop development. Yeah, we're actually going the other way. And uh, I think the reason for that is that uh, web-based apps are fine for some things, but we, we, you know, in in those tools I talk about, uh, we we have to interact with uh, uh, both the local file system and other resources, and uh, we have to move around large objects. and And uh, a desktop application is just so much better for those kinds of things. Um, so I guess that's why, um, yeah, we we need to stay on the desktop. Yeah, I mean, we create tools as well, and we're still uh, heavy desktop, right? Yeah, right. All of our yeah. tools are heavy desktop. So <laughs> uh, I know every other day, uh, actually, you know what? That's not true. It's not every other day that people say, oh, when are you going to have an online IDE? To be really honest with you, we don't get that many questions around an online IDE. I mean, no. it's not like every time you go to a conference and I'm like, oh, when when is the online ID coming out? We hardly get any questions around that, which is interesting as well. Well, I, th I think, uh, you know, people want to use the, the power they already have in their computers. And, uh, um, and um, you know, you, you can... Uh, you can uh, Buy real hardware for your development uh, workstation, and uh, you can, uh, you know, boost your uh, your uh, development. So uh, it just makes sense for me that some tools are uh, are better off staying on the desktop. I think. Yeah. So you are the author of Tornado FX, yeah. right? Can you give us a brief uh, introduction to what that is? Yeah. So um, that brings me back to those tools that we create in in our company. Um, a lot of those tools need a, a UI on the desktop, and we use JavaFX for that. But we also need to to turn around really fast. During one workday, I could work on 10, 12 different tools with different UIs. And uh, uh, maintaining a JavaFX application is, of course, no problem, but it's so verbose. And uh, just adding a small feature can be uh, you know, several dozens lines of code. So uh, I needed something that could uh, help us turn around a lot quicker. And uh, I've been looking at uh, Kotlin a couple of times. I actually tried to create Tornado Effects in Java first, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't end up with something that I felt was really helping me. And I tried to look at Kotlin a couple of times, but I, I, didn't, you know, I didn't get it at first. But then uh, finally, in late uh, 2015, I, uh, I saw the light. And... Uh, 
what I wanted to do was to get rid of all the boilerplates in the JavaFX. Uh, I think JavaFX is a great, great uh, UI toolkit, but it's not really a framework. And uh, so it has a lot of boilerplate and it's also missing some framework features. And uh, uh, the end result is that every developer seems to create their own suite of uh, tools that they bring into every project and everybody's uh, cooking their own stuff at home. So, uh, um, I, I wanted to change that. And um, some of the features in Kotlin just lend themselves perfect to to, uh, to cleaning that up. So uh, that's how TornadoFX got started. So essentially it's a framework around JavaFX, so to speak, right? Yeah, so it's uh, basically a, a, a higher level abstraction over uh, the JavaFX APIs. But we try to never hide the underlying APIs. So even though you're using one of our beautiful DSLs, you can still uh, access the underlying JavaFX objects. So even if we haven't thought of something that you need from JavaFX and uh, haven't uh, created a nicer API for it, you can still access those uh, JavaFX uh, um, objects. And uh, even then, we might have some extension functions on those. So uh, if we didn't think about your use case, you, you might still be able to leverage some of the tornado effects to make it nicer for you. Now, you keep mentioning JavaFX, and I'm sure that you know a good portion of our audience is familiar with the technology. But could you, like stepping back before we get onto tornado effects, Give us a brief overview of what JavaFX actually is for those that might not be familiar. You know, there are still a lot of people that do uh, exclusively web development or mobile development and yeah. might not have even heard of JavaFX. Yeah, right. So uh, Java's always had a UI toolkit and uh, the toolkit used to be Swing. It's still there, but it's getting rather long in the tooth. So uh, I don't know how many years ago, but... Uh, but um, uh, Sun did a kind of a reboot and they created the JavaFX, which was kind of script based. I think I, I was never into JavaFX one, uh, but when Oracle took over, they uh, they um, uh, rebooted that again and created the normal Java APIs for it instead. And that's when it started uh, seeing some success and, and uh, people started converting from their old Swing applications over to JavaFX. Because uh, JavaFX 1 was just uh, too alien for people, I think. And uh, also, you had to learn a new language, actually. With JavaFX 2, you just need to learn uh, the APIs, but uh, you can still leverage your Java uh, knowledge. And it's for designing UIs. Yes. Right? Yeah. So how are these UIs designed? Are they all programmatically using the API or mentioned that it also has a markup language. Oh, right? yes. Yeah. It has uh, something called FXML, which is uh, basically a, an XML dialect that lets you uh, mark up your uh, UI, and then you can load the result as a, an, a scene graph and, and show it. And uh, there is also a, a scene builder tool, which lets you do that uh, with a, uh, visually. So, and how many people use that? Do you think that it's uh, most people are just typing out XML or are they using a visual tool builder? I think if you're using FXML, you're probably using the visual tool builder. Uh, that tool hasn't seen a lot of development though. So I don't think you can even do everything in it. And uh, so I've seen uh, more and more people uh, switching over to, uh, to uh, uh, the programmatic um, API instead. The problem with that is that it's hugely verbose. Uh, actually, even the FXML itself is quite verbose. So uh, uh, of course it, it's mimicking uh, uh, 
the programmatic version. So uh, they're both quite verbose. So in the yeah. yeah. I mean, in uh, in the .NET world, uh, I guess the thing that's most similar to this is XAML. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. XAML, uh, which was part of the Windows presentation uh, foundation. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people complain about that. It's like XAML is so verbose and it's just horrible to work with. Uh, but then I also find that people hardly ever use designers, right? Because they want to tweak things. And it's it's interesting that HTML is XHTML as well. And we don't get so many complaints about it, uh, I guess, because we've ended up in a world where you don't actually write HTML anymore. You just write a, a div tag and then everything else is spit out with uh, SAS and JavaScript, etc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's important also to mention that uh, CSS support. It's uh, CSS 2.1 with some uh, some special sauce to support JavaFX, but uh, it's actually quite good. So most of the design work you can do in CSS. Right. So it's essentially HTML for desktop. Oh yeah. Which is kind of like what XAML is. Yeah. Right. So you say that there's two options: as the well, the designer, which is limited because they're not keeping up with the functionality. Then you have the FX, FXML? Yeah. You say FXML or mm-hmm. X, FXL? FXML, I think. FXML. Yeah. That is very verbose, that people don't like uh, using that much either. So they fall back to programmatically creating controls and layouts. Is that what they do? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, FXML has a performance penalty because you have to parse that XML and then create the node tree from that. So. If you really care about performance, maybe you don't want that for that reason as well. Right. And where Tornado FX fits in, and I know that you mentioned that it's a framework, and we'll get to that aspect in a moment, but where initially it fits in, is it trying to create a DSL that is somewhat nicer to use than the API for creating layouts? Oh, yes. So the... The builder DSL is only part of the equation, really. But uh, when you're actually creating your uh, graph of nodes, uh, the the TypeSafe builders is uh, perfect because they uh, let you only express your intent. There is hardly any boilerplate at all. And also, since it's programmatic, it's super fast. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. It, uh, with the DSL, it might look like a scripting language, or it might even look like uh, YAML or, or JSON. Uh, because uh, Kotlin makes it possible to to uh, to make this API so nice, but it is in fact just a, a programmatic layer uh, or kind of a layer on top of the the normal JavaFX APIs. So it's declarative in in sense, right? Oh, yes. I mean, you are yeah. basically declaring what you want essentially, yes. right? Yeah. And uh, we do that not not only with the the nodes that you build your hierarchy with, but also with the properties for those nodes. So typically, if you want to create a text field and you also want to bind that text field to, let's say you have a user with a name property, you would just say text field user dot name property. So uh, it's also declarative for other stuff than just the the uh, the node hierarchy, if you will. Let's say that I want to create a form with this builder DSL. How would I go about doing that? I mean, what is what does a DSL look like? You know, taking into account that we're going to explain code over voice, uh, but could you give us like an idea of like, let's say that I want to create a form with uh, two buttons, typical username and password, and a, and a 
uh, sorry, two text fields, username, password, and a login button. How would I declare that? So let's say that we already have uh, some kind of user in this uh, in the scope here, so we can bind towards the, the username and password properties of that user. You would uh, simply say form and then curly braces to start uh, creating a form. Then you would say field set and new curly braces. And in there you would create a field. So you would say field and uh, give it the name, username. And inside that field, you would uh, create a JavaFX text field. So you would say text field, and then you could mention the user.username property to uh, to bind automatically to that text field. Uh, you might even want to add some uh, validation. So to say the, that the field is required, you just say required at the end of the text field. Uh, and then you do the same for the password field, and then you come to the button. You can say uh, button, uh, login, for example, and then uh, you say action, and then you point it to uh, what's going to happen whenever you hit the button. So it's actually that simple. And uh, you, you kind of just mention the words that, that mean something. It's no boilerplate in there. And when you said that you have a user object, are you implying that there's a two-way data binding here to that user object? Oh, yes. Um, you know, JavaFX has uh, uh, observable properties. So uh, uh, you, you normally don't work on, but you could, like a normal string for a username, you would have a, a string property. Uh, and uh, that's uh, that supports two-way bindings. Uh, and all the, the JavaFX UI components also support two-way bindings. So you kind of connect them together. Right. And, but there is kind of certain level of backlash around uh, two-way data bindings as well, right? Is, is this something that is enforced with uh, Tornado FX or is it kind of optional? It's completely optional. You can, you can pass a normal string to the text field and you can extract uh, the current value of the text field and, and do whatever you want with it. Uh, that's actually an important uh, um, point to get across that uh, although we, we uh, give you tools to uh, do a, a lot of stuff automatically and easily, you don't have to use them. You can kind of cherry pick whatever you want and you can do stuff your own way. Like we don't force MVC on you, but we support it. And uh, we also support the other uh, MVX uh, derivatives, of course. So and MVVM, etc. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. So we have some helpers to, to deal with that, uh, like the view model, for example, but uh, it's totally optional if you want to use it. If you're using Kotlin or planning to, Make sure you check out KotlinConf, a conference taking place in sunny San Francisco on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2017. It's a two-day event packed with Kotlin content by industry experts with keynotes from Andre Breslav and Eric Meyer. So whether it's back-end, front-end, mobile, or native, KotlinConf is the place to be this year. That's KotlinConf, C-O-N-F dot com. Hope to see you there. Right. And so, and this is an interesting point you bring up because I was actually going to comment, you know, again, going back to Backlash, a lot of people are somewhat reluctant to adopting a framework because they feel like they're locked in, right? Yeah. Um, which is kind of ironic, right? Because at the end of the day, you're pulling in 600 different libraries and 600 different things that, yes, you might end up replacing one or another, but at the end of the day, it is kind of, in a sense, a, a quote unquote lock in. But, and you mentioned that Tornado FX is much more than just a builder, right? Yeah. So what else does it provide you in terms of an actual framework? Well, we have uh, the TypeSafe builders, but we also have TypeSafe CSS. So you would uh, kind of uh, 
have a, a statically compiled CSS that will turn into text when, when it needs to. Uh, we have a workspace business framework in there. So uh, uh, it gives you kind of the starting point that you would get from Eclipse RCP or uh, even the NetBeans platform. And uh, we have dependency injection and event bus. We also have a REST client, which uh, makes it really easy to deal with the uh, REST APIs and especially JSON. We have very strong JSON support in there. Um, we Is also... this hand-rolled or are you using a library uh, for JSON serialization? Uh, we're using uh, the Java JSON uh, library. So uh, that's, a, that's the only dependency, but you, if you don't use it, you don't need it. Right, I'm guessing you can pull some, pull it out and pull something back in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the REST client, it's uh, uh, kind of modular. So it comes with two implementations. Uh, it comes with the uh, HTTP URL connection implementation and also an uh, Apache HTTP client implementation. Right. And uh, the URL uh, HTTP connection implementation is probably going to be swapped out when we go over to Java 9, which comes with a new HTTP client. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the IOC container, uh, well, you, you got dependency injection. Is that also something configurable that you can pull out and put in your own IOC container? Yes and no. So uh, it's uh, hand-rolled, if you will. It comes with the framework. Uh, but we also support uh, third-party dependency injection frameworks. So you can easily plug in like Spring, for example, uh, if you want to. But to to generate the views uh, and uh, the native parts of the Tornado FX, you have to use the, the dependency injection framework that comes with it. Uh, but uh, let's say you have your business logic in, uh, in existing uh, classes, you can uh, still use uh, Spring or whatever dependency injection framework you already have in there just by providing a, a short uh, um, kind of uh, integration stub. Now, coming back to the builders again, you mentioned that you also support CSS, right? Yeah, yeah. So how do you keep that aligned with new function, uh, new features coming out in CSS? I mean, do you, do you have actually different versions of CSS that, that people could could use? And, and if so, does it enforce that? I mean, in the sense that, you know, you are now creating a DSL for the CSS. So if I say I want to drop down to CSS version X, uh, will it only provide me with those features of of that version? Well, uh, the TypeSafe CSS is created solely to support JavaFX or TornadoFX applications, right? And uh, there is uh, literally nothing happening in the CSS support for JavaFX. We have 2.1 and we have those extra extensions to support uh, JavaFX uh, uh, components, but uh, nothing much is happening there. Uh, so... Uh, it was never our intent to to create a type safe CSS for HTML5, for example, or CSS3 to, to use on the web. Uh, but we do, however, I would guess we support like 95% of the, the JavaFX re relevant CSS syntax, but you can easily add um, what we call uh, raw or unsafe uh, um, uh, properties as well to that CSS. So if we haven't thought of something, it's very easy to to write it out as plain text, basically. One of the things, I mean, I played a little bit with uh, Tornado FX. And when I played with it, I had literally a zero idea of JRFX. I mean, I understood the concept of it and having seen it somewhat in XAML, in C Sharp, but I had never played with it. And and I think I commented this to you back then when we were first chatting, which is I was relatively surprised how I didn't need to 
dive deep into JavaFX in order to be able to leverage what you had done with TornadoFX, meaning yeah. that it was quite simple for me to get an application up and running and start to use it without you know, taking a crash course on JavaFX. Would you say that that's a, a, a fair assessment that many people have had trying to use your framework? Absolutely. And we, we hear exactly that a lot. The people are coming in, they've never even used JavaFX, and uh, they're almost instantly productive with TornadoFX. So uh, if you're doing you know, low-level stuff, uh, I remember, uh, uh, of course, you, you wanted to add uh, a, a kind of a task uh, integration, uh, taskbar integration. And then we yeah. touched over into some uh, AWT APIs uh, where I can actually already out of uh, JavaFX land. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you want to dive deep into the stuff that we haven't uh, uh, covered in our APIs, then you might need to know JavaFX. But for uh, for uh, most uh, business applications, even with animations and stuff like that, you, you just need to learn our APIs and you don't really need to know that it's uh, JavaFX uh, below there. Uh, we've actually been playing with the thought of uh, of using our DSL and our syntax to support other frameworks than JavaFX below it. But right now, JavaFX is uh, is uh, is a solid uh, foundation for us. So uh, for now, we're gonna stay there. But we, we've been playing with the thought of, uh, of actually reusing our DSL for other uh, UI toolkits. Out of curiosity, do you have any in mind? Uh, it, it kind of de uh, depends. We, we, we looked at. Um, uh, cute, for example, should be Q -T. one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's supposed to be pronounced cute. Maybe I'm wrong. Is it? I, I, well, <laughs> yeah. I, sorry, I, I've always called it cute. Yeah, like right. the Q and the T, right? Yeah, that's, right, that's right. what I'll <laughs> uh, learn uh, something every day. Yeah, and uh, now that we heard about Kotlin Native, of course, uh, we wanted to to see if we can do something uh, there as well. Um, so that that might make it easier to integrate with the with the, those kind of uh, UI toolkits. So we'll see where that leads us down the road. Okay, and I have a controversial question for you. Yeah. You earlier mentioned that, you know, there's literally nothing going on in the CSS department for JavaFX, right? Yeah. Is there anything going on in the JavaFX department? I think that uh, uh, the guys working on that have been quite busy with the, the JDK 9 transition. Uh, but when I say that no, nothing much is happening, of course, something is happening all the time, but uh, JavaFX is pretty mature. So the need for something to happen every week isn't really there. And uh, also, that's that's kind of the reason that we were having success with the Tornado FX, because we can build on that solid foundation of JavaFX and add features on top of it. So, uh, of course, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, JavaFX is missing some framework features, but it's also missing some some uh, components that are commonly used in uh, business applications. But that really hasn't been a problem because it's quite easy to add them yourself. Uh, and of course, also you have uh, controls effects, which is moving a lot quicker than than the JDK itself. So um, I'm not feeling like uh, we're in a, in a bad state with the JavaFX at all, even though uh, development isn't uh, you know going that fast because uh, it's already solid and it's quite complete what we have. We felt the need for adding some components, so like uh, wizards, forms, the data grids, and uh, some uh, some uh, making some of the other uh, components data driven, for example. So, uh, but, but this uh, is something that potentially you could add uh, in Tornado Effects, or do you need to? 
be able to map everything to a JavaFX component? Well, uh, at the bottom, it would be a node uh, most of the time, and uh, or even a control, which is a subclass of node. And uh, JavaFX is made to support making custom components. So, uh, and and the APIs for doing so are quite nice, actually. So uh, that that's actually one of the reasons that, uh, that it's not moving so fast because it's already there, really. Right. And do you have custom components, custom visual components in Tornado FX? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So like the wizard is uh, one thing that I really felt is missing from JavaFX, but I'm also quite glad that it wasn't there because then we could dictate our own APIs. And uh, uh, with the power that comes with Kotlin and Tornado FX, we can create so much nicer APIs than you can do in in the plain or vanilla Java. So I'm actually quite happy with that. So our wizard can can also be used from a plain JavaFX application. You don't even need to use uh, Tornado FX to, to leverage it. And we have like a data grid, which I felt was missing. Um, and uh, we have a list menu, which is uh, kind of a, like a, a web 2.0 kind of menu. And um, yeah, so, uh, but, but it's not that many components that we felt we needed to add. There might be some still, but uh, right now, I think we're in a good place when you when you put Tornado Effects and Java Effects together, you have almost everything you need, I think. And you said that you started looking at Kotlin back end of 2016? Or the second uh, half? 2015, 2015, yeah. yeah. 2015. Do you Im imagine or envision you having come up with tornado effects uh, if there weren't wasn't Kotlin? I mean, you did say that you were potentially looking at doing it in Java. Yeah, I, I actually even did. I have one application running in production even today, which is based on that uh, initial attempt in Java. Uh, it never felt nice. It never felt good. Uh, I got rid of some of the boilerplate, but I just felt like I was doing what I said initially, like I was also creating a homegrown solution for for some of the shortcomings of JavaFX, just like everybody else. So it wasn't really helping any anything. So, yeah. Right. And when you decided to do this in Kotlin, uh, I mean, did you do it primarily for yourself or did you want to do this so that eventually it would be successful as an open source project and other people would um, adopt it? I actually, I, uh, I think it was in January 2016 where I wrote the first version and I, uh, I put it on GitHub right away and uh, I didn't even really think about if anyone else would use it. But almost immediately, I started seeing some interest in it, and it just grew from there. Uh, I remember, I think it was maybe nine class files in the first release, and uh, I was uh, I was kind of trying to do what uh, Adam Bean did with his afterburner effects. I just wanted it to be a just enough framework to to make it a bit easier to work with uh, JavaFX, and also to make it easier to work with Kotlin in JavaFX. And uh, so that was uh, my initial uh, thought, just to, to, to kind of bridge some of those small gaps that I saw. And uh, the first version, I think, was like 136 kilobytes or something. And I called it, I think I called it uh, uh, an extremely lightweight uh, uh, JavaFX framework for Kotlin. And then after a couple of months, I had to re remove the, the extremely yeah, extreme, part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, we had to skip the... <laughs> 
what I, yeah the lightweight now we we just call it a, a javafx framework for kotlin actually <laughs> i'm just looking at the github you still have lightweight on there you need oh, to go I update that. I'll, I'll send a pull request <laughs> oh yeah please do <laughs> no i mean i'm browsing it because you know you start to see contributors there's it's got uh, i hate i hate judging things with the number of stars and forks but it's it's quite respectable in number of stars and forks and it's really interesting how it has taken off because, you know, I have, I, you know, from very early on, I've been monitoring uh, uh, Twitter and di different outlets for anything related to Tornado, to Kotlin. And when I saw this pop up, I'm like, okay, you know, um, it's not like desktop applications are back in fashion. <laughs> uh, and yet it was so surprising how the interest started to grow around this and yeah. you started to push out more features and and there was started to become a lot of noise on the Slack channel, which you guys have. Uh, and you're always there, you know, providing support. Yeah. And it begs the question of, like, do you think uh, in any way you have made JavaFX something that people are now considering, whereas before they would have discarded without having you know, looked at it properly? To some degree, yes. But I also think that uh, uh, there is a lot of JavaFX development going on, but it's mostly in companies and they make internal tools and even tools they sell uh, that the the customers or consumers might not even know is written in, in Java or JavaFX. But uh, yeah, I think so. That uh, After you've been uh, working on a large JavaFX code base for a while, you start to get tired of all that boilerplate, you know. I think they did the right thing when they created the the interfaces so low level because you can do everything, but then you know this layer on top, this abstraction layer, is really missing. And I think uh, uh, the same way that Kotlin made it fun to program again, I think we did the same for for uh, Java desktop uh, application development, really, with the Tornado effects. You mentioned that there's a lot of existing enterprise applications using JavaFX. Yeah. What about those situations? Does it make sense for them to port their applications over to Tornado FX, or it, it's really not providing any value in that case? Well, actually, it does because uh, we made sure that you can start using the framework even though you haven't converted your whole application. So it should be possible to just add. Uh, Tornado FX as a dependency and then start making your next screen in Tornado FX. So you don't really need to to do everything at once. Um, so and pulling in the framework, like it, it you re then it is really designed in a, in a way that you can just literally just pull in what you want. Like it's not going to take over your application just because you switch one screen to use Tornado FX? No, not at all. So uh, you basically just have to register your application, your existing application with the Tornado FX runtime, and it's not going to get in your way in, in any way. So, uh, so you can easily just start uh, making your first screen and go from there. And uh, you can e also use, as I mentioned, some of the, some of the features of Tornado FX can be used from your plain Java uh, classes even but uh, you know you're not going to get the the nicest features of uh, of uh, tornado effects that way like you can't use the builders from plain java that's not possible you would have to access those extension functions uh, uh, you know uh, 
explicitly and it, it wouldn't be nice but uh but it's quite easy to to call like uh if you created the tornado effects view for example you can quite easily call that from a java effects class or a java class and uh just let uh, tornado effects take over from there and even uh communicate back with your uh, your uh, old classes i'm actually thinking about what you said regarding cute not qt cute yeah uh because if you combine that with kotlin native it does open up a whole new world of, you know, creating small utilities that can run on the desktop, uh, native mode without having all the, you know, all the heavyweight uh, virtual machines that are, that are needed for different, you know, if you want to deploy to the JVM now. Yeah, absolutely. There are some issues to consider though, like uh, for example, with the with the SWT, the the UI framework used in Eclipse, for example, they support different platforms, but uh, they can only support uh, the the lowest common denominator of features available to to them on those platforms. And uh, I think the the best way to to go if you would uh, want to use the Tornado Effects APIs with the Qt would be to create a, a Qt version so you can still leverage all, all the lower level features of Qt or you would end up with the, a, a nice DSL but you can't access the, the lower level nicer features of it. So uh, we, we made sure to never hide any JavaFX features in Tornado Effects and I think that would be important if you, you were to do a, a Qt reboot as well. We've obviously we haven't mentioned this, but this is all open source. It's on GitHub. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll put the address in the show notes, but it's github.com slash Edwin slash Tornado FX. Yep. Now, if someone wants to get started with Tornado FX, what's the next step? Well, you could go to tornadofx.io. We got some links there that would take you, uh, amongst other things, to our guide, which is uh, kind of like a book that you could read through to to get started with the uh, with the framework. Uh, the guide isn't covering everything, but uh, it's uh, it's a good starting place. And I also have a lot of screencasts on uh, on YouTube that you could check out for how to do stuff with Tornado FX. And you should definitely join us on Slack. Um, on the Slack channel, we uh, we actually discuss more features than we do on the, in the GitHub issues part. So uh, if you have a pressing issue you need the help with, just join us there and we'll help you right away. And to be clear, this is the Kotlin Slack and then the channel for Tornado FX, Yeah, that's right. right. Great. Well, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Uh, I think the Tornado Effects, really, you're doing a great job, and congratulations on that. And uh, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you, and thanks for having me. 